Good morning, everybody. Um, before I start, I just want to say, if if you haven't, if you don't know who Christ is, if you are here and you and you've you've never heard some of this stuff before, or you you've you've been in church your whole life, but you feel that you don't know who Christ is, I really want to encourage you to search Him out, to seek Him out. I'm not going to tell you to come forward for prayer. If you'd like to, you can. You know that we um, we always encourage guys to come forward for prayer. But I just really want you to to go on your own personal journey, whatever that looks like for you, whatever, however you feel you can find him. There's enough resources nowadays to to find him. And if if you are looking, he will show himself to you. But I just want to encourage you to to seek him out. I wouldn't change my life for the world, and that's because of him. So if you if you don't know who he is and you, and you want more information, come and chat to somebody, anybody here. Just grab them. They will want to tell you. But I really encourage you. It is the most important thing you will do in this life. And he has so much for you. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, won't you just come? Won't you come and move right now? We just quieten our hearts, Father. We've come to this place, Father, to meet you, God. To be face to face with you, Father. I just pray that, that your will be done here, Father. That your will is done, right? Jesus, in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. I'm nervous. And I'm nervous not because I, I don't like speaking in front of people. I'm nervous because I, I believe God's given me something and I don't want to get in the way. So if I stop and just have a moment, it's because <laughs> I'm trying to just listen to what God's telling me to say. Tissue's fantastic. We might need them. We might need them. Um, so it's so good to be home. We, um, Me and my wife, my wife have been away for the last two and... Um, a bit weeks on our honeymoon, and it has been amazing. We spent a week and a, a week and a little bit in Thailand, and a week and a little bit in Vietnam, and we just had an incredible time. And knowing that I had to preach, I was sort of, I was waiting for God to show me something, and He showed me many, many things. But there was a few things He really challenged with me, and He and He brought up something that I had written down a long time ago, but. We were sitting in a um, airport, and we had this. I had this moment of what now? You know, we we had all this these months leading up from our engagement to our our wedding planning to to getting everything ready, and it was all over. And now we're sitting in this place, and it was sort of like, and it wasn't a bad what now moment. It was sort of a an exciting what now moment. But I sort of likened that thought to what Christians have. You know, they we get people saved. We heard Brad speak last week about getting converts, we get them through the door and they get saved, but then what? What happens next? What, what are we meant to do? And, I, and we were talking a couple of nights ago at, at the leaders' meeting about, about Christians and, and, and where they are in a place. And I believe there's so many Christians who are still caught in that airport terminal talking about what now. And a long time ago, I write notes in my phone, little snippets that God gives me. I'm... Would one day I'll write a book and I'd like to write things down. But I wrote something down that God um, put back on my heart and I went through my phone and found it. 
And it was a, a note, and all it said was, stop saying and start being, stop knowing and start living. And it was a, it was a moment we were sitting and we were chatting, and, and um, airport terminals are terrible. I hate the places. But you sit and you wait and you wait. But God was just downloading these things to me, and, and, and I was seeing, you know, there's, there's so many Christians who are still sitting in the airport terminal. They've got through the door, they're saved, God, they know who God is, and they've started their life. But what now? What are, we, what are we here to do? So I want to speak a little bit today on a term that, that frustrates me, and that's Christian. I want to speak about what a true Christian looks like, because we see so many counterfeit Christians. And we, so, we see so many counterfeit um, people and churches who are holding this, this idea of Christian. But I want, to, I want to challenge what it actually means to be a Christian. Initially, I wanted to not call myself a Christian, and Jess has an interesting way of, um, she doesn't use the word Christian, she calls them Jesus people. Jesus lovers, sorry, Jesus lovers. And they, they're not Christian books, they're Jesus lover books. And I, I wrestled with this, with this terminology because I thought, why do we have to lose the term Christian? Because so many people have done it wrong. And a lot of this church, a lot of what we're trying to do with, with what God's doing in this church and, and the plan of this church is to remodel our language, remodel this church, remodel the church, and remodel Christianity. So I don't want to throw the word away. I want us to take the word and say, what did Jesus mean it to be? What, what, is the, what are we meant to be as Christians? So I want to look into Christianity and what it means for us. When we were in when we were in Thailand, we saw Thailand is an incredible place. If you ever get the chance to go, go. It is beautiful. But the week before, I think, or a couple of weeks before we went to Thailand, their king died, and their king was the longest reigning king monarch I think ever. But I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But he was the longest monarch, and we had been told that that the place will be interesting because he was loved and and. and it would be a different place. So when we landed into Bangkok, I was blown away by the amount of um, honour that they had for this king. We had no idea who he was. We didn't know his name. We didn't know what, he was, what his rule was like. We didn't even know what his background was. But when we landed in Bangkok, we had a, a driver pick us up from the airport. And I was asking questions, much to Jess's disgust, because it was very broken English. But I don't like sitting in the back of the car quiet, so I tried to break the language barrier. But he said something to me that completely rocked my world. I said to him, was he a good king? And the driver understood what I said, but he couldn't really bring back what he felt. But he said to me, when I think about the king, my eyes cry. And I went, wow. Here we have a people who lost a king that I have no idea about. I had no understanding of what he was like and yet I felt compassion for this person and the further we went into Thailand and the more that we traveled the more we saw they had pictures of this king massive big shrines and you could go and sit before the king and write a letter write your dreams write what you felt for him what what he did in your life and the people were amazing we didn't hear a bad word about this king the whole time we were in Thailand and I was talking with Jess and, and I said you know we know nothing about him. We didn't Google him. We didn't We didn't try and research him. And yet from the people, we felt who he was. And I was preparing this sermon. I thought, that's what a Christian is, right? 
Should not a Christian be someone who you have no idea who Jesus is, but you've felt him because you've spoken to a Christian? And see, this challenged me because I sat back and thought, wow, God, I hope that I can carry you like those people carried their king. Because we have the most amazing, incredible king. And the reason that I, I felt God say to me is to ask people who don't know him is because if you don't know him, when you leave today, you should. And if you haven't, we haven't done our job right. And that saddens me. You know, I, I think back to, I've worked in a, in a, a few um, Christian, in inverted commas, industries and, and for a few um, different uh, mission groups and things. And you know, some of them, looking back now, were disgusting. And I feel terrible that, that we are here to present a king and we have to do it right. Go with me to Matthew 8.1. I'm going to show you something. Matthew 8.1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and beyond a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anybody, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. I find it fascinating that Jesus heals the man and he tells him to, to, to be quiet, but to go and be in the presence of the priests to be an example of what Christ had done. You see, in, in, in their time, leprosy was a filthy disease and you were unclean, so you weren't even allowed into the temple to pray. So Jesus is saying, look at this example that I'm going to have of my power and who I am. But you can't speak it because it's not enough. So go and show it. When he walked through that gate, they would have said, here's a man who had leprosy, the unclean, and look how clean he is. He wouldn't have had to open his mouth. I'm going to challenge you all throughout this because this is what God showed me and challenged me as well. But how often can you walk into a room and have people go, that guy's clean. That guy knows Christ. We've, um, we've been playing a lot of basketball lately with Sean and, and um, I, this picture came to me yesterday while we were actually playing basketball and Brad cheated. I mean, he played good, but they kind of beat us. But, you know, I started thinking because we, as, as boys do, when you get on the, on the field, you start talking about your old days and you start talking about, you know, how you used to play and, and uh, you know, I used to play for this team and that team, I used to play for this sport, and, and you really talk yourself up. But when you get on the court and someone throws you the ball, all of a sudden you've got to show what you've been saying. And if you can't make that shot or if you can't show that you're a good player, guess what? Your words mean nothing. So I can tell Sean I'm the best basketball player in the world. I can do a dunk, I can do all the things. But when we get on the court and he throws me the ball and I miss it, he starts going, oof. And then we play on a team and I let the team down. He starts going, this guy can't play at all. You see, the, the words that we have, the words that we say, have to be backed up by actions. You look through the Bible, every time Jesus spoke, he showed a sign. Every time he spoke, he, he didn't just speak. He was an example. He was oozing what the Father was showing. You know, we have to, as Christians, we have to become more than the words that we speak. 
people are sick and tired of hearing talk. Sick and tired of talk. They want to see their hands met. They want to see their hands being worked. They want to see, when you say God loves you, that's, that's, in today's day and age, it's just not good enough. If you say God loves you and you don't love that person, and you don't show it, your words are worth nothing. The same as the basketball field, basketball court, rather. So we have this challenge now where we go, okay, we're, we're, we've been saved, we're Christians, we know who Christ is, and now we need to get up out of our seat and go and start to do what we're called to do. I think he said it here before, but one of the things that in the very earliest days of, of meeting Brad and, and going to the church there, I, he said something to me that I've, I've always kept, and I, I think I've used it many times, but... <laughs> he has said that many a time. But he said, people catch what you have, not what you say you have. And I'm sure he stole it from somebody else, but... My guilty him. But, you know, if, if, if we walk around saying that we have the measles, but we really have the mumps, you're not going to catch measles. You'll catch the mumps. So it, it really doesn't matter how good a Christian you say you are. It really doesn't matter how mighty a person you say you are. When the chips are down, if, if you aren't who you said you are, you see, we, as I said earlier, we have an opportunity as a newly planted church in this city, to be something different. And not different because that's the cool, hip thing to be, but different because that's who God's called us to be. It's authentic. It's real. If we look like the church down the road, there's something wrong. Because they have it wrong? No, because we have it wrong. Because we're drawing off them, but God's called us to be something else. If you look at somebody else, somebody else's gift or somebody else's life, and you go, oh, I want to be that guy. And you become that guy, something's wrong because God had something better for you. You see, we, we, we have to let go of this, this cookie cutter. I know that's used a lot. I don't like using it because it's used a lot. But this cookie cutter design in everything, not just in the church, in your life as well, in the way that you are a job. One of the most crippling, one of the most crippling comments we, we hear today is because that's the way it used to be done. I think that is the most debilitating thing and it frustrates me in, in my workplace and in, in other workplaces I've been in when someone says that. Because I think, yeah, but God's showing me a, an amazing way to do it. We can improve that. Mm, let's not step out of the boundaries. Let's just do it. We know it works that way. Yeah, but it can work better. You know, so, so if, if you're going to uni and, and you're in a degree and someone says, yeah, but there's no jobs in that, and you go, oh, we better change my degree. Why? God called you there to do something and just because it's not being done the way the world wants it to be done doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for you. We have to let go of this mindset that says that it can only be done that way. Because authenticity isn't always the same. And I think that's the same in conversations as well. You know, when we're speaking to people, sometimes you've got to say the thing that no one wants to say. But it's real. Sometimes that person's going to cringe. I actually had a, had a conversation with a lady at work the other day. And um, she's a beautiful lady. Um, but she has the tendency to say it how it is. And she slaps hard. Sometimes you'll have a conversation with her and you think, oh, 
And we were talking the other day, and I said to him, you know, sometimes that's fantastic and that's amazing, but sometimes it's crippling as well. And she said, yes, but that's who I am. I said, but it's not who you're meant to be in every single conversation. And she, she went away, and, and the, amazing, she came back to me the next day, and she said, thank you. I said, I didn't do anything God did. No, I, didn't, I just highlighted something that God was showing me. But for her, she realized, yes, it's who I am, but there's times to discern when that honesty is needed, and there's times when it's not needed. So we have to learn that, yes, we're meant to be loving, and yes, we do it in love, but it's not always the hug that the person needs. You know, if someone, if someone has plenty of finances and they're hurting and they need help and you give them $50, that's not helpful because they've got $50. They don't need the $50. But you haven't taken the time to, you know, to walk with them. You've just gone, oh, do the Christian thing. They need, they need money. So here it is. But it doesn't help them. You know, there's, there's, there's a, a time and a place for things, but we can't cookie cut Christianity, and we can't cookie cut God, because God said that guy needs your, he needs an hour, and he doesn't need an hour of you talking. He just needs you to, he just needs you to listen for an hour. If we aren't walking with, with the Holy Spirit, if we, aren't, if we aren't dining with Christ, then how do we know what that guy needs? We get so caught up in this, what Christianity looks like. And we heard Brad speak about it the other week about just getting people in, but we forget the heart of the person. And Jesus has the heart of that person at, at hand. I want to ask a couple of questions, and they're rhetorical, but if, you, if, you have a, a, if you're taking notes, write them down because they're, they're, they're challenging. Does you saying you're a Christian make you think how you can represent Christ in every aspect of your life? Does you saying you're a Christian make you think how you can represent Christ in every aspect of your life? So think about how often we say we are are Christians, but what does it mean to us? Does being a Christian actually mean, okay, what would Christ want me to do in this position? Now, you're the Christian guy at the workplace. But what does that mean? Are you just a Christian guy at the workplace? Or to you, does that mean, no, I'm, Christ is leading me through this workplace. He's leading me into conversations. He's leading me into to how I hold myself at work. Does you saying you're a Christian effectively make you change the way you live or is it just a fire insurance when you die? You see... We build this, this, this Christian concept that we have to go out and save people. But like Brad was saying last week, we get them to the airport, but we don't show them how to keep going forward. So we get people in, we bring them in, but we don't show them how to move forward. And us ourselves don't actually think, how do we move forward in this? You know, so does, does being a Christian actually want you to make you want to change your life? And not because God says that you have to, but because God says, son, I have a better life for you. Daughter, I have a better way for you. But we have to go, okay, God, what is it and how do I walk it out? Being a Christian means that we chase God into those places. The how, the why. God, I want to go there, but you've got to show me how to get there. We had a a good friend of ours who, he was constantly frustrated with God and, and, and still is, sadly, but he was constantly frustrated because, in inverted commas, his prayers weren't being answered. And I thought, yeah, but what, what are you doing to ask God, okay, 
you've put me in a place and you've got a direction for me. What do I have to do? Where are my hands? But he wanted someone to knock on the door and, and hand him the things that God had for him. You know, as Christians, we have to go and get it as well. We can't sit on our hands and have God just beam things into our life. Yes, he does do that. But we have to be willing to go out and change who we are. You know, to repent doesn't mean to grovel before God, but to means to change your life, to change your direction. And sometimes it's not, it, it's not a full turn. But if you are a little bit off in something, by the time you get down the track, you are way off in that thing. We have to constantly be repenting, constantly going, whoa, I missed that. God, show me. You know, in, in from conversation to conversation, from, from instance to instance, we have to be, be seeking God to show us how to change in that area. But we have to do that. God's standing there with the, with the envelope going, here's the answers, but you've got to reach out, take it, read it, and then apply it to your life. You see, how often do we sit in, in churches and listen to sermon after sermon after sermon? Actually, on my iPad, I have hundreds of sermons that I've taken notes on. But I challenge myself and how often I sit down and go, okay, how do I apply this to my life? Because we can talk until we're blue in the face up here. We can, we can do church for the next 10 years and your life can not change an instant. If you come and sit in a pew, if you go and, and never apply this to your life, if you read the Bible and go, awesome, thank you, I'll read it tomorrow. You've got to apply it and you've got to be asking God, how do I apply this to my life? You know, the Bible is incredible and God uses it in incredible ways. But we need to be applying the Bible to our life. The Bible was written some 2,000 years ago in a culture that we don't live in now to a people that are no longer around anymore. And yet, God says that it's important to how we live our life. How? If, if you don't apply it. I was, I was listening to, to Brad's message this morning and it was challenging. But I started to think, okay, God, how do I do this? And it's, it's stuff that I've, I've, Brad and I have spoken about before and, and it's still challenging because I'm still thinking, God, I've tried to change this, but I need, I need more. Because there's a, there's a physical application that we have to take on as Christians. Being a Christian doesn't just mean you're through the doors and we can... We can cheer. Yes, it, that does mean that you've saved. If you've accepted Christ in your heart. But there's still stuff to do here. And your life can still be changed. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Paul makes a comment that should rock us as Christians to the core. And we all know it, and I think Mao spoke on it last week. Follow me as I follow Christ. I would struggle to say that to somebody. Because I think, oof, if I say to someone, you follow me as I follow Christ, I'd want to have my, my ducks in a row. Because I'm leading that guy down a path. Paul had the ability to go, I know who I am in Christ, and I know who he's told me to be, and I know how to apply it to my life. So follow me, and I'll show you the direction. As Christians, as disciples, we need to be able to say, hey, I know where Christ is leading. I know what he says. Follow me. Come on this journey with me. But we've built a culture, instead of saying, follow me as I follow Christ, we say, follow our church leaders as they follow Christ. We just handball them off over to, to somebody else. But the challenge, that's not the challenge. 
And I know how easy it is to to shut off when I'm speaking on this because it's such a challenging thing. But you know, the reason we hear some of this stuff again and again and again is because it's not being changed in our society. You know, we wouldn't need to speak, and, and I'm speaking for myself as well. I mean, God showed me this message, so I'm just sharing what He was He was revealing that I needed to change. But you know, if if we were doing this, if the church was really becoming Christians as Christ intended us to become, and leading people as disciples in that direction, we wouldn't need to continue to to preach, because we'd all just be there'd be so many disciples that everyone would be preaching all the time. But this is something that we need to strive toward. And every little thing that we read in the Bible, every sermon that we hear, every, every truth that we feel God say to us, we have to be saying to God, Father, show me how to apply this to my life. Show me. We were speaking at the, at the leaders' meeting the other night. We were talking about some countries that are communist countries or countries that aren't allowed the Bible and, and even back into the older days where they would get just one book out of the Bible or one page out of the Bible. And they would take that for months until they could all come and meet again and swap books or swap pages. And they would learn so much out of it and grow one page or one book. And they would spend so much time in it until it changed their life and they felt, okay, we've got this. But we have such a culture. Like how, how interesting if we decided as a church that we're going to preach this message and only this message until we all get it. So next week you come, it's the same message, exactly the same. But that's what they used to do. No, guys, we need this is important. We need to get this. You see, when we read stuff in the Bible, when we when we when we read about love, when we read about patience, when we read about kindness, we have to 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 take it serious and want to change that in our life. Why? Because then the next guy who sees you goes, That's Christ. I have, I have four older brothers who were all a part of the church and have all been burnt by the church and all who have a view on the church as being a terrible thing. And slowly and slowly I'm, I'm discussing it through with them and walking it through. But you know, that that's of so many people in today's culture. I read an article the other day about millennials leaving the church and how at the moment, I can't remember what denomination it was from, but at the moment there was an all-time low of, of millennials. Now, there is a little bit of hype in that, and it's not 100% correct, but it's frightening. But the reason they're leaving is because they can't see Christ in the church anymore. What a sad day that, that in Christ's bride they can't see Christ. You know, we the reason this burns so hard on my heart is that this is why we're here. This is why we come to church every Sunday. It's to learn how to present Christ. We've got to learn. We've got to push for it. It's not enough to just sit and listen anymore. It's not enough to to just hear it and go, yeah, it was a good message. Sure, there's going to be terrible things that I say that, that God will fall away, but there's going to be things that you need to look at. Every time someone comes and stands in this pulpit, every time you open your Bible, every time God speaks to you, it's important. And we need to understand how to apply it to our life. Go with me to Romans 12.9. I'm going to read from the Passion um, because I like the way that he explains this verse. But 
go just go anyway and you can read along but it'll be a little different in the ESV the heading for Romans 12:9 is the marks of, of a true Christian in the passion the heading is transformed relationships but what I like about this verse, and I'm going to read the whole verse, and I'm going to stop at, at each little part and just, just chat about it. But this verse, Romans 12, 9, we could spend months in this verse. Because I bet my bottom dollar that there is four to five things here that we all need to grow in. And that's not, I'm not trying to, to discourage you, I'm trying to encourage you. Because this, this encouraged me that we go, okay, if, if you take nothing from this, take this verse. Take it home. Read it. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. And, and pray and say, God, show me. How do I do this? How do I do this? The marks of a true Christian. Let the inner movement of your heart always be love to one another. And never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Yes, we could spend the, we could spend all of next year just working on that one verse as Christians, and we will never get it fully right because unfortunately we're we're humans. But that doesn't mean we don't try. That doesn't mean that we strive to find what God is saying to us. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love. In every instance that we do, it has to be to love. We hear it so often, but how often do we imply it? You know, we're so quick to temper, we're so quick to things, but we need to begin to understand that every movement of our heart in every instance has to be to love. Why? Because that's who Christ was. You want to diminish the, the, the picture of Christ in your life? Show anger. Because Christ showed, showed rather, no anger. And that love, and it's hard to do. And, I, and again, I don't, I don't want you to feel beaten. I, I want you to feel encouraged, but... Everything in our life has to be in love. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as member of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor and honor of one another. To outdo ourselves with in respect and honor. That's hard to do. That's so hard to do, especially when all of us in this room are from different different lives, different backgrounds, yet we're called to, to respect and honor one another. You know, honor one another with your time. Honor one another with your finances. Be generous to one another, to every one of, of the people in this room, regardless of your thoughts or your or your heart toward them. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him, boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. And it's funny, I think we when we um when we talk about this, we always we always go to, you know, the church pushing the pushing the broom around the um around the halls before a service. But I think people kind of enjoy that. But to be passionate when serving him is that conversation with that guy from work that you don't want to have. That passion of God, I'll go because that guy needs me. I will go because he needs you. That's the passion. You know, you've just done a 12-hour day and the guy says to you, hey, 
man, I really need a chat. Can we catch up? Can I do that with passion? Because there's so many times where people have said to me, hey, can we have a conversation? Can we, can we have a chat? A coffee? And I think, no. I want to go home to bed. And then you go, but you go out of this place of, I'm going because God wants me to go, but it says to do it with passion. I know it's uncomfortable, but it should be. If it's not uncomfortable, we're not growing. There was a, a, a quick one to tell this story because I think it's, I think it's important because I feel like there's a lot of people out there terribly uncomfortable and feel like I'm beating you, but I'm, I'm really trying not to. But there was a, there's a story of a lobster. And the lo- I don't know if you've heard this, you probably have, but the lobster, when the lobster is born, the lobster is born in a shell. It creates its own shell. But to, to grow, the lobster feels uncomfortable in the tiny shell. So the, the lobster has to go under the rocks. This is not a story, actually. It's really real. That's how a lobster does its life. But, but the lobster has to go under the rocks to protect itself from other enemies, take itself out of its shell, grow, and then regrow the shell to go back out into the, into the wild. So then it goes back out, continues its life, and then it begins to feel terribly uncomfortable. So it has to go back under the rock, take its shell off, grow, put its shell back on, a new shell, and come out. You see, there is only growth in uncomfortable. If we are always comfortable, we will never, ever grow. So, I love you, but I want to make you uncomfortable because I want us to grow. And that's what church is all about. Brad makes me terribly uncomfortable all the time. And he has since the first day I walked into his church. But that's one of the, one of the reasons I, I love him to death because I grow. All the time I grow because I'm uncomfortable. Let this hope burst from within you. Verse 12. Let this hope burst from within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. Commune with God at all times. At all times. Commune with God. Perhaps that could just be the Bible on its own and we we would do sensational. Speak blessings, not cursing, over those who reject and persecute you. Celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. I spoke about this earlier. There's no good celebrating with those who are grieving or grieving with those who are celebrating. We have to discern. And that's that communing with God all the time. You know, when we commune with God, we understand where the person we're talking to is at. If they need time and you give them money, you've wasted your time. And God's time. He still loves you. But we have to learn how to discern. We have to learn, you know, what what is it that, that this person needs right now? Celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are of your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset, thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. We heard Brad speak uh, last week on becoming a disciple. 
I want to challenge you. Are you being discipled? Because everyone on, on the leadership team has people above them who are discipling them. It is important. I find a, a church who has, a, has a, a, a group of leaders who aren't being discipled scary to me. Because without, without being discipled by other people around you, you're saying that you've made it. You know, we, we need to seek, even Jesus. Jesus spent time with the Father. And I want to put it to you that you need people around you, discipling you, helping you walk through tricky situations, helping you walk through good situations, helping you walk through good times. And I know that that I'm going to speak about Brad a lot only because we we spent a lot of time together and, and he's discipled me for a long time, but I know that he's been discipled for a long time by five incredible men of God. To me, that goes, this guy has wisdom, so he, will, he, he can disciple me. And for the rest of my days, my days, I will seek for people to disciple me because it's important. You need to be being discipled as you disciple. Nowadays, we call them a... Um, no, it's not this Mentor. Nowadays we call them a mentor. And it's, it's odd, you know. Some of my family members found it quite funny that Jess and I had marriage counseling before we got married. Because in today's society, it's, it's not normal. It's odd. You know, that before I make a life decision, I will, I will check with some of the men who I have around me. Because it's important to me that I have their input. Because I know they've been in a place like that before I have. So why wouldn't I seek counsel that's free? Why wouldn't I go to men who I know are walking close with God and are hearing from God and go, hey, what's your thoughts on this? We need to be being discipled. If you're not, I challenge you. Find someone. Let them know, hey, I'd, I'd love to get your counsel regularly. Never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. The world needs chapter 17. Desperately. We desperately need to be loving one another, to not be holding grudges. We have enough of that. And we are mandated to, to bring forward this. The church should be the first people that people go to when there's trouble because there's, there's no judgment, there's no love. There's, sorry, there's no judgment, there's love. There's no grudges being held, there's no pain. We're not that now, but we will be soon. But it's our job to put our hands to plows, to be working the field. We've got to get out of that airport terminal. We've got to. Beloved, do not be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, if you don't take justice in your own hands, I will release justice for you, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Win him over with kindness. For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience. Your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience. We don't have to have programs. We don't have to have these amazing outreach things. Yes, they're good. Yes, they do a good work, but that's not the only way. 
your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience. Awaken him to what? To Christ. We've got to be generous. Not just financially. With your time, with your kindness, with your love. That's how we awaken the hearts of the people. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. We've heard it a million times, and we're going to hear it a million more times until we all begin to outwork it. We've got to love one another. This whole verse talks about a Christian giving themselves to help somebody else in every instance. That's what Christ did for you. Gave himself. You see, it's not a it's not a a frightening, terrible thing. It's an exciting thing that we get to journey a Christian life. Do you know that that the word Christian was only used three times in the Bible and it wasn't used till thirty three years after Christ was on the cross. And the disciples didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians to be Christ-like. It's a big, big, big meaning to be a Christian. And we've got to be constantly questioning ourselves. God, how? How? I am going to finish in a moment. I just want to show you one more thing. Matthew 25. That's what you get for not writing something down. It is Matthew 25. So I just want to, I just want to, I'm going to finish, but I just want to finish with this picture. Because I feel like I've, I've given you the, what we need to do, and I want to briefly, briefly give you the how to do it. Parable of the Ten Virgins, Matthew 25, 1. I'm reading from the ESV. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps... They took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough oil for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy yourselves buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Earlier in this verse, it talks about, Christ talks about not being asleep. I remember hearing this verse as a kid, and going, hearing a preach on this is not being asleep and going home and being frightened to go to sleep. Thinking, God, please don't come while I'm asleep. I don't want to miss it. I still remember as vividly as being terrified. Like, if God comes while I'm in bed, I'm going to miss it. I've learned a little since then. <laughs> but God is talking about our spiritual awakeness, the time we spend with Him. Not to be asleep. And I think this verse is incredibly challenging. The oil and the lamp speaks to the Holy Spirit. He will lead us to Christ. But we have to be wise. And we have to go and do it. No one will do it for you. 
Stop sitting on your hands. It's time for the church to rise and to become ready. I know with everything that I am that I don't want to be going to get oil. I miss that. Wisdom. The wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And I talked about communing with God in everything. We have to be communing with Christ. Communing with the Holy Spirit. God, show me. Me, me, anyone who speaks from this from this wine barrel will not help you if you do not take heed of what's being said and apply it to your life. We need to be filling our lamps with oil all the time. Reading this. Asking the Holy Spirit, God, show me how to apply this to my life so that when Christ comes, we get to delight in who He is. So I really, I, I apologize if this feels like, no, I don't apologize. I don't apologize. <laughs> Me included, we need to wake up. We need to leave that airport terminal. We need to become Christians that are out changing the world. And you don't have to go over the border to change the world. If God calls you, my goodness, go. But you do not have to do that. God's calling you right now to change your life, to change those around you. Every single person in this place has, a, has an important mission field that you're in right now. Are you working in that mission field? If you don't know how, are you asking God, Father, I go to this office place every day. Show me. When you walk through the door, are those those people that you're meeting, are they feeling something different? Are they feeling, when you say, I know who Christ is, they go, yeah, I know. We have a job to do. And it's so vitally important that every moment of our life, we are asking God, show me more. Father God, I just thank you so much, Lord. Father, I thank you, God, that that you take the time to tell us over and over and over again, Lord. God, that you love us so much, Father, that, that you will continually show us the right way, regardless of whether we walk it or not. Lord, that if we choose the wrong way, you'll still follow us, Lord. Lord, I just pray right now, Father, that every heart here, Lord, that this seed begins to grow. Father, that for all of us, Lord, we are challenged to know you, Father. To walk with you in the cool of the day, Father, every single day, Lord. Father, I ask that as as we go home tonight, Father, you begin to just stir this message in us, Father. That as we spend time over Christmas, Lord, that that you are challenging us to be like you, Father. I just thank you so much, God, that that you show us the way, that you love us so much. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done, and I thank you for what you continually do, Father.
Jesus, in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Awesome guy.